0: greet one another let's all together recite this catechism can anyone keep the law of god perfectly and the response is since the fall no mere human has been able to keep the law of god perfectly but consistently breaks it in thought word and deed all right why don't you guys say hi to someone around you get to know them um get out of your chairs Good morning, good morning, it's good to be here. A couple announcements, Uh, some of you guys may have seen there's a trailer that was showing before and we'll show the trailer after as well. Next Sunday afternoon we'll be um, showing a a movie, it's actually coming to theaters but uh, the producers of the movie want churches to uh, be able to show it. Uh, Nope, not yet. So uh, before we get there, a couple things, last week we had a couple new members uh this week we have aaron and melissa i believe will be here during the second service um so like we did last week we're going to ask aaron to come on up so come on up aaron we have a a little gift for you but we want to pray for yeah welcome him welcome So Aaron, Aaron, and as well as these other people, they've gone through uh, the class on knowing what does it mean to be a member of this church? What does it mean to to be a part of this family? And so I want you guys all to recognize Aaron here and say hi to him later. Welcome him to the family. Aaron already is uh, serving. You saw him on the worship team, but uh, just get to know him and and, uh, encourage him as a fellow member of of our church. So I'm going to pray for him. And will you guys pray with me? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, bringing Aaron into our midst. We thank you for this family that you have provided for us and how you are uh, growing your family uh, more and more. And we pray, God, as a family, we would uh, not only be a welcoming church for Aaron, not only a church that encourages him and exhorts him and uh, pushes him towards the things that you've called him to do. We pray also, Lord, that you would allow him to use the gifts and the passions, the experience that he has to encourage us and to exhort us and to push us to become the kind of church uh, that we should be. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. And we have a little gift for you. Here you go. Uh, I feel like the, um, the movie really, the, the, the next movie really wants to be shown. So um, maybe we can hit the lights and we will
1: show the... It's been almost exactly 10 years since my wife hurt herself on the job first time, which led to uh, a whole bunch of things. Case situation has gone from oops to uh-oh to oh my god to holy and it's still there I mean she still can't walk from the original surgery she's wheelchair bound doesn't get out very much is on dialysis now because her kidneys failed and I've been the guy who's been there all that time and I was just putting so much pressure on myself and so finally one of the guys, a good buddy, called me at home and he said, we are going to get you a Stephen Minister. He knew all that story and he said, we're going to get you a Stephen Minister. And I said, well, it's time. It's time. My Stephen Minister is just a little bit older than I. And sometimes when, when we're together, I I have to say even to him, you know, we're just like two old parts sitting around drinking coffee on a Wednesday morning. It's just so easy to be with him. He, he's just so tuned in to what I'm doing that he knows the right questions. He never suggests anything. He's not, there to, he's not there to tell me what to do. He's there to get me to talk to myself until I discover what is necessary. And I can tell him anything. He listens to anything. He listens to the good stuff. He listens to the bad stuff. And he's also very happy about the successes that I've had along the way. I can't wait to tell him about some things. So it's, it's been a lot of pressure. But my Stephen Minister has just walked me through it, talked me through it, questioned me through it. And I'm surviving very nicely. I'm, I'm grateful to uh, Trinity for caring enough, the people there were caring enough to li- literally put a Stephen minister in my back pocket because I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for that. So I, I give thanks every day. In fact, my, my connection with the church now is I, I don't go to worship to take, I go to give I I have gotten so much from the church so much through my Stephen minister that I go to give it all back or give us back as much of it as I possibly can every Sunday morning this this relationship with the Stephen minister is about you and God and, and getting you through the next period I'm very proud to say I have a Stephen minister if you're under anything like the pressure that I was under then wouldn't you like to be where I am now? You can you can get there if you take on a Stephen minister, but you can't have the one that I have.
0: So the Stevens Ministry is a ministry that we have recently started. It is uh, hasn't fully been. Um, ramped up but we are in the process of informing recruiting uh, and then training men and women who will be the kinds of people that you heard about here that provides the kind of care that we all should be providing but sometimes we just don't know how to if you are interested in becoming a stevens minister there are a couple stevens leader uh, that you can talk to grace and keaton are back there stanley and esther Uh, as well as Bill Young. Uh, They are all Stephen's leader. And so their job is to equip us as a church family to uh, raise up people who could provide the kinds of care that you just saw in this video. And and isn't that a wonderful thing? As a church, we could actually care for people in that way. Uh, Let me pray. If you need a Bible, we're going to hand you a Bible. And we're going to get started in today's sermon. Okay. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful once again that we could come as a church family. We're reminded that every single one of us, we're we're broken. Uh, We have our own problems, whether it's physical or family, whether it's addiction or sins. Uh, We all come as broken people, uh, needing the grace that you provide through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, would your Spirit just minister to us as we minister to one another here pray these things in your son's name amen so over the past few weeks we've been um, going through this series called we are family and we're looking at the book of ephesians because the book of ephesians uh, one of the main points of the book of ephesians is it teaches us uh, what a family looks like and how god lays a foundation for the church you and me to be part of the same family paul reminds us that when we are together right? When we are together as believers, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Greek. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese or Japanese. It doesn't matter if you're you're Polish or, or a mix of all these other races. It doesn't even matter if you're a pagan or an atheist or Buddhist or Muslim. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he's the one who draws us together. In fact, the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is... is it, it brings all these disparate groups together. People we once considered enemies, or perhaps people we once considered others, or people we would have nothing to do with. Paul reminds us that in the church, we are one family. We are one faith. We have one baptism. We have one God. And it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, we are part of a family. And I'm so encouraged. Uh, last week because in ephesians chapter 4 paul also reminds us that in this family even though we're one every single person has a job every single person has a different set of skills different spiritual gifts different ministry and every person contributes to the family there's there's no one who who says i i come just to receive i come also to give kind of like the video of jim sharing he comes to serve he comes to give and last week Well, we had this ministry fair. I was so encouraged because so many people, so many various people signed up uh, for different jobs. And once again, Paul reminds us, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a family of God. And if you're a member of this family, we serve one another so that this family will grow mature and become like Christ. So Paul's talking about church unity throughout the first half of chapter 4. Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit. We're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and following. He goes from church unity, and he shifts gears, and now he talks about church purity. First he talks about unity, now he talks about purity. And so I want to address one of the great myths of our time uh, before we get into this, because some of us, we might be thinking, well, you know, Paul's writing 2,000 years ago. What's the big deal? How does it relate to me? One of the myths of our days is that the human race, mankind, is generally good, right? It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not a believer, but there's this uh, prevailing myth that people are basically good. And as time marches on, society will only get more and more utopian. And when evil does happen, we think, well, that's an anomaly, that's a rarity. That that rarely ever happens. You know the Hitlers, the Stalins. Uh, those are like once in a generation kinds of people. But by and large, we believe that humankind is good. There's this famous uh, there's this famous Russian activist, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He he spent uh, about a decade and a half in the Russian prisons, the Gulags. And he in fact he he wrote a book called The Gulag archipelago and he talks about this back-breaking work that he did in uh, the gulags and he, he makes his comment he says if only it were all so simple if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart And what he's saying is, sometimes we think, well, we're good and they're evil. And the problem with the world is to take all the evil people, put them in a prison or destroy them, and the world will be good. Here's a man who saw the very worst of humankind in the Russian prisons. He was the, the victim of torture for a decade and a half. And he makes this comment that, Evil isn't just out there. Evil's in here. G.K. Chesterton, uh, well, at least this is attributed to him, uh, was famously asked, what is the problem with the world? His response was, I am. And I think that that reflects the truth that the human condition, there is a problem in each one of us. And Paul describes this apart from Jesus Christ. He says in verse 17 and following. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's pretty heavy words that Paul is saying about humanity. So we're going to flesh this out a little bit. But basically what he's saying is Christians, members of God's family. Earlier on chapter four, he said, this is how you should walk because the way you walk matters. And here he's saying, don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't walk like the rest of the world. Now, the word for Gentile, we've talked about this. Uh, The word for Gentile can mean uh, two different things, right? It could either mean anyone who is not a Jewish person, right? We've talked about the Jews and the Gentiles, and everybody who is not a Jew uh, was a Gentile. It was kind of ethnic, and literally that's what it means. It means the, the world, the ethnic people, the ethnos, but here, Paul is making a specific point to say, Christians don't walk like the Gentiles. And he's actually making a separate category. There's Jews, there's Greeks, and there's Christians. And a Gentile is anyone who follows the patterns of the world. And what that means is a person who says, this is how the world behaves. When, the, when, the, when I'm cheated, this is what the world says I should do. When I'm wrong, this is what society tells me to do. When I'm uh, shortchanged, this is what uh, all my friends tell me to do. That's the world. That's the Gentiles. Versus a Christian, anyone who has been saved and follows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Paul says, Christians, do not walk like the world. Do not walk like those who walk in the world. Do not walk like the Gentiles. Notice how? how he describes their walk. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now this is so important because I think a lot of times we we, we, we boil Christianity down to a feeling, right? Like, But notice how the mind controls so much. He says their minds are futile, their reasoning is flawed, their logic apart from Jesus Christ. Is broken. The word for futile, it literally means useless. It's void without purpose. It's like a hamster in a wheel. It's running around in circles and it's never going to get out. It's just running and running and running with no purpose. They don't see the bigger purpose. And Paul says humanity apart from God, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of action. But there is no eternal significance. Solomon, the, the wisest man on the, on the face of the world, and makes this comment. And he's writing this book, Ecclesiastes, uh, some say after uh, a long life of just Indulging in pleasure, indulging in, in sex, indulging in all the gratifications a, a man can indulge in. And he says, I've seen everything that is done under the sun. I've had all the experiences. I, I've done, done everything that a person could possibly do. And behold, all is vanity. All is futility is the word there. And it's a striving after the wind. It, it's chasing after something that is fleeting. Right. And he spends the entire book and he says, well, you know, I tried doing this. I I pursued pleasure. I pursued sex. I pursued, you know, women. I pursued knowledge even. But everything at the end of the day is useless. He goes on later on in chapter two. It's kind of interesting. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, I encourage you to. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than folly. This is him saying, this is what happened when I try to pursue wisdom, when I try to pursue knowledge. There's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. Right? The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity for all of the wise, for of the wise as of the fools, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and is striving after the wind. And what he's saying here is the richest, most powerful, wisest man, surrounded by wisdom. He's saying, "Yeah, it's better to live wisely, right? It's, it's, you know, it's just like walking in light, walking in darkness." But you know, the wise guy, the wise person, gets sick. The fool gets sick. They they both get the same illnesses. Their their bodies both break down relatively the same. Now, the wise person may may have more luxury. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the fact that everyone dies. And everyone one day will be forgotten as well. So what is the point of pursuing wisdom is what Solomon is asking. It hits pretty close at home. I think when we read someone like Solomon, we, we live in probably one of the most educated areas of the world. There are probably more uh, PhDs in your workplaces or in your communities. Than, than anywhere else in, in the world, right? We're, we're, we're amongst there. We are a very highly educated group and we love education. But what the world values, maybe what some of us values, is temporary, is fleeting. You know that we cannot take our wealth with us when we die. We can't take our degrees. We can't take our grades. We can't take our diplomas. One day... Our bodies will fail us. One day, the health and fitness that we pursue will be gone from us. And one day we will die too. There's a man I read recently about. I I actually, uh, I'm kind of, I enjoy uh, reading about how people hack their own bodies. There's a guy by the name of Dave Asprey. Uh, He created the Bulletproof Coffee. So if you guys ever had butter in your coffee, you could thank him. Uh, But Dave Asprey is kind of an interesting guy. He spent over a million dollars, right? Hoping to elongate his life. He wants to live to 180. That's his goal. He wants to live to 180 years old and he spent literally over a million dollars so far trying to live longer. And it doesn't matter how rich you are or how long you live. The truth is, All of our lives, all of our pursuits, all of our passions apart from Christ will one day be like chasing after the wind. And apart from God, all of these things, these philosophies, these trophies that the world holds up, the scripture tells us it's meaningless. So why do people pursue all these things that are ultimately meaningless? Notice what Paul says, they are darkened in their understanding. And the picture that that Paul gives us it 's almost like an eclipse that goes over their mind it 's like a cloud passes in front of the sun. Their minds are dark, and there 's a darkness that prevents them from seeing God and seeing god 's plans for them. Last week, I, I showed a picture of an eye somehow that that 's been kind of stuck in my my memory. Uh, our family has a, a family history of some eye disease there 's a condition called macular degeneration. Uh, So I'm actually kind of scared about this because we do have a family history of this. But apparently what happens in macular degeneration is something happens in your eye where you begin to go blind starting from the center of your eye. And so if you're looking out, this is literally what you're seeing. And over time, as as you uh, succumb to the effects of wet age-related macular degeneration, you just grow more and more blind. And what Paul here is saying is, that's what happens with our minds. We, we begin apart from God, but there's this darkness that is looking right at God. That if, if that darkness was removed, we would know God. But right where we are looking at God, right where we're thinking about God, it's blurry, it's dark, it's blind. Paul tells the church in Corinthians, Corinth, he tells them in 2 Corinthians 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And what Paul here is saying is the natural condition of the world is that the world would much rather believe anything and everything than believe in the existence of a loving God that wants to have a personal relationship with you. It's interesting. I I went to UC Davis. Not many people know this. I was a religious studies major. It's not because uh, I enjoyed religion so much. It was because I was getting kicked out of my major and I needed to graduate. Otherwise, my parents would just be, you know, so mad at me. So religious studies was the closest one that I was to graduating. So I I really enjoyed religious studies. It it really was a fantastic program at UC Davis, which is, you know, a secular school. But it was amazing to me that here were men and women who had studied Religion. They had studied the Bible. They knew uh, ancient languages. They, they could read in Latin and Greek and Hebrew. And yet, when it came to believing in the existence of God, their minds were blinded. And Paul tells us, apart from God, every single person's mind is blinded. Their understanding is darkened to the existence of God. They would rather pursue pleasure and wealth and fame and status than contemplate the thought that there is an eternity out there and there's a consequence for the actions they have, they have had. There might be a heaven and a hell. And because of this darkness, because of this blindness, because of this rejection of God, Paul tells us that there is this hardness of heart. It's this callousness of of thinking. There's a hardness of heart. The language uh, talks about uh, being callous. And, and, you know, if you ever had a callous, you know, uh, you just have dead skin upon dead skin upon dead skin. And there's no feeling there anymore. And the heart's response to God is just harder and harder. They're indifferent to God's desire and God's planning. And here's a spiritual truth. Here's a spiritual truth. When we hear from God and we reject God's word, we do not obey God's word, we do not respond to God's word, we do nothing with God's word, our hearts become hard. Our hearts become calloused. Dead skin builds upon dead skin and it becomes harder for us to hear from God, to know God. Scripture tells us our heart is like a stone. The author of Hebrews writes this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now he's talking about the Old Testament uh, Israelites as they're, leaving, uh, <clears throat> as they're leaving Egypt. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways, and I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The people of Israel, the nation of Israel, had God literally in their presence. They had the smoke, they had the flame, they had the Shekinah glory resting on the tabernacle. And yet, they did nothing with God's word. They did not respond to God's word. How much so for us today, when we hear God and we reject God, will our hearts be hardened? And the natural progression, Paul tells us, is this. When our when our minds are futile in their thinking, when our understanding is darkened, right, blinded, when our hearts become hard, the result is we practice every kind of impurity. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's a it's a pretty grim picture. And Paul actually, this whole chapter is is kind of a rehash of the letter that he writes to the church in Rome. He writes, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Now he's talking about the world. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal powers, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's a pretty grim picture. And Paul and the rest of scripture says, apart from Christ, every person has a darkened heart. A darkened mind. Now, now some of us, we're sitting here and thinking, but I know good people. I know people who who are thinking good thoughts. And it's not to say that everybody is utterly depraved, right? But every aspect of our lives apart from Christ has been impacted by sin. This is the trajectory. This is the direction that every person will head towards apart from Christ, And some may be closer and some may be further, but this is the general direction that everybody is going towards. There's no part of our minds or our hearts that responds to God. And Paul reminds us, you Christians do not walk like the rest of the world. Do not walk like the people who think this is the only thing that matters. These are the only things that, that, that are important. This is what I want to spend my time and my energy and my money on. This is how you should live. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and you are taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And he's saying, Christians, you're different. You're a new creation. You're completely different from how you were just a month ago before you were a Christian, a year ago before you were a Christian. Live a different life. You don't have Darkened minds. You're not the same as you once were. Now it's very interesting because Paul uses three words here that describes you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. And they're all mind ish related. They're all school related. And they're very uh surprising when we when we really study this word. The first word that he uses is you learned Christ. And nowhere else in the Bible, in the Greek New Testament, are we ever told or is a person described as learning a person, right? He doesn't say you learned about Jesus. You could tell me that he was 5'10", brown hair, brown eyes. It doesn't say you learned about Jesus. He said you literally learned Christ. Nowhere else in uh, other biblical or non-pre-biblical documents is anyone commanded to learn a person. It's a It's a novel thing that Paul writes here. And what Paul is saying here is that as believers, learning about Jesus, it's more than just learning about Jesus. It's more than just saying this is, you know, he was born in a manger. He was uh, lived here during these years. It means that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what Jesus says about eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The idea here is that you know in such a personal and intimate way, who Jesus is, that you're learning a person. You're not just learning about them. You, you know everything about him or her, right? That's the idea of, of learning the person of Jesus Christ. It's this personal, intimate, relational knowledge. And he's saying to you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just head knowledge, guys. It's not something you just read in a book. It's not something you studied. It's not something you got a degree for. It's because you have a living, live relationship but the only Son of God. The next word he uses is "you heard him," and it's not "you heard about him." But literally, what what he's saying is, "you heard Jesus." It's almost as if he says Jesus spoke to you. And it's interesting because he's writing to the church in Ephesus, where most of the the congregation and have not seen Jesus, they have not heard Jesus. So, what is Paul talking about? And what he's saying here is, as believers. When we study God's Word, when we read God's Word, when we spend time in God's Word, Jesus speaks to us. When we say the Word is living and it's active, when we say the Son of God came, the Word of God came and and dwelt among us, we are saying that Jesus really resides in these words, and as we study his words, Christ is speaking to you. You ever come across a passage of Scripture that you might have read a dozen or so times? And all of a sudden you're, you're reading it and you're like, oh, my goodness. Why have I never seen this my whole life? Why, why am I suddenly convicted of, of how this applies in my life? It's because Christ is speaking to us through his word. And finally, you learn Christ, you heard Christ, and you were taught in Christ. And it's so weird because the way Paul uses these three verbs, it, it's it's not typical in, in, in Koine Greek, but he says you are taught in Christ. Christ is the school, Christ is the environment, Christ is the atmosphere in which you learn Christ. Christ is the, uh, the, the topic, the subject, right? Christ is the messenger and Christ is the medium which we learn our faith. And what Paul here is saying is not only have we, uh, do we have an intimate relationship, not only is Jesus speaking to you in me through his words. But it's in Christ, it's in that relationship with him that we are learning about what it means to be saved. And he's saying, Christians, you're, you're called to walk differently because we have a life-giving relationship. The reason we live differently, the reason we look different, we should look different from the rest of the world is because there is a living God that is guiding us. There's a living God that is challenging us. There's a living God that's saying, hey, hey, don't do that. That's not pleasing to me. Or hey, why don't you reach out to this person? Because he's also one of my daughters and one of my sons. We are to walk differently because we are in a real life-giving relationship with Jesus himself. He goes on and he says, This is how we should lo- walk. This is how we should live. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And actually, Paul talks about putting off and putting on several times uh, throughout his epistles. But here he gives us three instructions. You should live this way because you have a relationship with God and this is how you should live. He first gave us the motivation, and now he gives us the mode. And he says, this is how you should live. The first thing that he says is you should put off the old self. Put off the old self. It it gives us a picture. If you have ever worked in a yard, or you come in and you're just sweaty, maybe you've played sports, and you're just like, oh, I'm so gross. I got mud, I got grime, I, I got grease on myself. You just take off all the old stuff. And maybe you toss it in the laundry or toss it in the hamper and you hop in the shower. And that's the picture that, that Paul is giving us. He says, all that old dirty filth, and that's what it is. The way you used to think, the way you used to talk, the way you used to act, the way your mind worked, the way uh, you, you behaved around others, the way you had relationships, take it off. You, you literally, you have to take it off and cast it aside right the thing about taking it off is we have already done that once when we accepted jesus christ our savior he exchanged our old rags for his robe but paul here tells us in another sense every single day of our life we choose to take it off we're working out our salvation. Every day, there is a part of our lives where we say, you know, that's just not right. That's not good. Recently in my small group, we've been watching this video on how to parent. I've been a parent for, how old are you, 12 years? Yeah, I've been a parent for 12 years. Uh, (laughs) It's hard, right? Math isn't my strong suit. I've been a parent for at least 12 years, and I think I'm a pretty good parent. And so we're watching this video, and you know, this guy, the speaker... uh, Paul Tripp is is just talking and I'm realizing I have so many behaviors and patterns that I picked up either from my parents or I picked up from society around. Or, or you know, I just think these are good ideas, and I realize these are these are worldly. These are these are patterns that are not from God. These are things that I need to take off. I need to take off the way I'm treating my kids, and I need to put on something else. And every day we have to deliberately choose. Will today be a day where I take off the old self? Will this moment be the moment that I take off the old self? And then he goes on and he says, well, you know, not just taking off the old self because it's easy when you take off an old shirt to slip back into it, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of gross, but I know some of us, we do that. And you're like, oh, that's a dirty shirt. But then you're like, I got no more shirts. And you sniff in the hamper. You're like, okay, this one's okay. You throw it back in. Or, or you flip it inside out. I know some of you guys, yeah, it's okay. No, no, No shame here. So you flip it inside out and it looks clean again but you're not really taking it off. And Paul says, well, you know, just taking it off is enough. We've got to change the way we think. We need to allow our minds to be renewed because it's easy to say, well, I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to stop slandering. I'm going to stop being very um, brutal in my language towards other people. But the way we think needs to be washed in God's word. We need to allow the the patterns, the, the thinking patterns in our minds to be changed by God's word. We need to allow God to say, uh, you know, this thought process is wrong. Let, let me show you in scripture what you should be thinking. Uh, Paul writes this, a so very familiar passage in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed. Don't be stamped in the image of the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And when your mind is renewed, you may test what is the will of God. You could say this is not the right parenting method because I just studied scripture. This is not the right way I should manage my, co- my coworkers or my employees because I just read scripture. This is not the way that I should be relating to my friends because I just read scripture. When we allow our minds to be renewed, we're able to discern what is the will of God. And this is done when we study and read God's word. I'm so encouraged. I've been meeting with a group of people, several groups of people, and we're, we're just reading the scripture. That, that's really all we're doing. We're reading scripture and we're just praying for each other. And as we're reading scripture, it's like, oh, I'm reminded this is what God wants me to do. Right? For a person who's been a Christian for you know, 30 plus years, I, I feel like I've already read scripture a lot of times, but every time I come to scripture... God challenges me and God speaks to me and says, you know, this is where your thinking is wrong. This is where you need to confess. This is where you need to repent. This is where you need to change. And I'm so encouraged that I know there's other groups of people here. You're just reading, you're studying scripture. You're like, what should I be thinking about this particular topic? And you're not turning first to Google. You're not turning first to your friends. You're not turning first to forums. You're turning to God's word and you're saying, What does God's word has to say about this topic? And you're allowing your mind to be transformed and you're allowing your mind to be renewed so that the way that you think, you'll you'll be able to discern the will of God. What areas in your life do you need to put off? What areas in your life do you need to have your mind renewed? And this is a tricky thing because most of us, we tend to think we're right. We tend to think, well, my way of thinking is right. Will you humbly come to God's Word and say, well, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I want God's Word to reign in my mind. And finally, Paul tells us, you don't just take off the old stuff. You don't just allow your minds to be renewed. You actually have to put on the new self. And that means daily choosing the attitudes, characteristics, and motivations of Christ. Right, Because just because you take something off, the the process isn't complete until you put on God's characteristics. And maybe for some of us, it's just being impatient. It's like, okay, I won't be impatient. I know God says I should be patient. But it doesn't matter until we put it on, put on patience, put on the fruit of the Spirit, where we live it out and say, I'm going to deliberately choose to live the way God wants me to choose and do the things that God wants me to do until this process is over. We need to actively put on the new self. And that's what you are. That's who you are. That's literally who you are. And most of us, we live as if we're still the old person. We're like, oh, Jesus Christ saved me. And it's okay to keep on living the way I've always lived. But Paul says, no, do not live that way because you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Do not live that way because you are a new creation. This is how you should live. Take all that old stuff off your old temper, your old uh, sins that beset you, your old addictions, take all that off. Change the way you think. Study God's word. Meditate on God's word. Memorize God's word. And allow the spirit to put on this new self so that you will behave and you will look completely different than you did before. And sometimes we think, well, you know, if God wants me to be patient, God's going to make me patient. But Paul here says, no, this is your job. you got to put it on. You, along with the Holy Spirit, you're working together so that Christ will mature you. Summary here is, be who you are, not who you once were. Don't live this old way of life. So a couple of things I want us to consider as we wrap up. For some of us here, we have yet to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Some of us here, we, we might have grown up going to church our whole lives, and, and we, we know what the gospel is, and we know what, what everything is, but we've never surrendered We've never said, God, I want this new life. We've never said, God, I, w- I want to follow you. Maybe for some of us here, maybe we have at some point in our life, but it's been a long time since we've taken anything off. It's been a long time since we renewed our mind. It's been a long time since we put on the new self. And if that's you here today, I encourage you. Would today be the day where you say, "I'm just gonna, I'm, I want to follow you, Jesus. I, I want to give my life to you. I know I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me?" Or well, for some of us, it's it's been a long time, Jesus. I know you've saved me, but I've been doing things my own way for a long time, and and I haven't taken off any sin. I, and I guess if people were to look at my life, I would look pretty much like everybody else the way I talk, the way I act, the way I spend time, the way I spend money? Will you help me identify the things I need to take off? Second thing is identify the areas for those of us who are Christians, because it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one month or 50 years. We are always growing in Christ, growing in maturity until Christ returns. What's an area that you need to take off? What is an area of your life that you, you you don't even realize maybe and you need someone just to say, hey, have you considered this? And the way you speak with your neighbors, the way you love them, the way you treat your family, the way you talk to your coworkers, the way you save or spend what is an area of your life that you, you need to take off, allow God to change the way you think and put on? And I know I know, it's really hard because it's so easy for us to say, well, I'm pretty much perfect. Jesus, you could come back and there won't be much change. The truth is we are all in process. What attitudes, what behaviors, what speech do we need to take off and allow God to put on? And finally here will you allow this week to have your mind renewed? It could be as simple as saying, I will spend time reading God's Word. Every day, I will spend time reading God's Word. It could be something even more specific and saying, I don't know how I should love my enemies. So I'm just going to do a search in the Bible on all the passages that say to love your enemies and what that means and what that looks like. It could be something more systematic. I'm going to just read straight through the bible or i'm going to read for five minutes a day will you allow your mind to be renewed now being having your mind renewed is only part of the process process You, you can't just say oh i have a new mind i know all the things that scripture says it's putting into practice so your hearts are not hardened your hearts are not calloused And Christians, my encouragement to us as a church, as we grow in maturity, as we grow as a family, would we grow so that we look different from the rest of the world? We think different from the rest of the world. We act different from the rest of the world because we have a relationship with the true and living God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for allowing us the privilege and the honor of being called your daughters and your sons We thank you that you have taken this old self, this old heart, you've replaced this heart of stone and you've given me a heart of flesh that knows you and loves you and is able to receive love from you and because of that, we're able to love one another. So God, would you help us as a church identify those areas that we need to change? Identify those areas that, that we are still living like Gentiles. Would you change the way we think? Would you change the way we act? pray these things in your son's name. Amen.